Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're talking about the ABCDs, financial management. We're talking about the future of financial management, AI, blockchain, cyber, and data analytics with John Hill, Mike Wetklow, and Doug Glenn. So without further ado, here's the show. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. So today, we're going to be talking about the ABCDs, uh, kind of the future of financial management, and uh, we have three great guests with us today. So why don't we start with introductions. Mike? Hi, I'm Mike Wetklow, Deputy CFO and Division Director for Financial Management at NSF. Uh, John Hill, I'm at the Treasury's Fiscal Service and the Assistant Commissioner for Innovation and Transformation. And Doug Glenn, who just started at the Department of Defense as Assistant DCFO. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. Um, so why don't we start off, so I think the genesis of this, uh, you guys all wrote an article in the AGA Journal uh, back a few months ago at this point. It was a winter edition, I believe. Um, and uh, I guess there's a, a professor that kind of came up with this concept. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, you give us some insight on that. Yeah, that, last summer, um, I, I went to a luncheon at the University of Maryland, and one thing that really struck me was I went by a computer lab where when I was in school, the homework assignment was to send an email to your professor for accounting and information systems. And I caught up with my Professor uh, Marty Loeb and um, uh, Larry Gordon at the University of Maryland. And they went through what they're teaching students today uh, focusing on artificial intelligence, automation, blockchain, cybersecurity, data analytics, just a, a whole new program. So I had reached out to my East pals here, Doug Glenn, who has you know helped me over the years, and most recently, Doug, you remember at NSF, he came by and talked to us about data mm-hmm. analytics with UDOs, and then with Treasury, um, you guys really helped us out with uh, RPA and, right. and getting started with that. So I reached out to them and. We just kind of got our thoughts together, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a good collaboration. Great. Yeah. And this is meant to be basically four big areas that CFOs, financial managers are you know, going to be encountering and need to keep in mind as, as we go forward. Is that kind of the... Because we say future, some of this stuff is pretty futuristic. Some of it's happening now, obviously, right? Or a lot of it's already happening. Yeah, it's. So. I'd say it's very exciting because it's potentially game changers uh, in our industry. We keep talking about wanting a seat at the table, yeah. and the technologies that are coming out right now really, I think, could help propel us to to the front of that table in many ways. Right. Well, let's uh, let's go through the ABCDs, and when we, uh, I'll just clarify that. So A is artificial intelligence, right? Um, B blockchain, C cybersecurity, and D data analytics. So mm-hmm. why don't we start with A and. Uh, yeah, let's kind of jump into A. I think Mike's going to take the lead on that one, right? Okay. Um, so for, or in, and John, you've kind of taught me about this. I mean, artificial intelligence, that's kind of like the high end of the spectrum. Right. That's kind of like the, the place to be. But um, at the entry level, we're with, um, at NSF, we're working on robotic processing automation. That's kind of like the entry level um, piece. And I'll say a little bit about AI if I could. Sure, after we get to sure. Blockchain. But uh, what it, it's doing everything Doug had just said. I mean, you know, as an accountant, you've got all this work you got to do, reconciliations, just, you know, pulling things in and out of spre- um, different systems and mm-hmm. spreadsheets. Uh, so we worked with the, the Treasury Department with your uh, innovation fund uh, program and kind of had a, a joint effort. And Doug, we worked with you too on this, right, with um, Interior and your, mm-hmm. your past job. 
and we did a, a pilot uh, implementing, um, I like to say we, we were doing it um, smaller but harder. So we, we've done mm -hmm. only three robots, mm -hmm. but um, so it's not a lot, but we've done it harder in the sense of we're, we're building these robots into our IT infrastructure so we could ramp up more. Right. Um, but ju just as Doug said, we've got accountants now that, you know, the bane of, uh, federal government's existence is, is IPACs. So we, you know, we just have, you know, imagine just like a stack of papers, you know, on your desk, um, you know, employees have these robots that can, you know, go in and out of treasury systems, NSF systems, um, reconcile records with, you know, other agencies for agreements and, and it does the work. So right. the, the manual work that, you know, really holds back the accountants from, you know, having the bandwidth to get the seat at the table, we now have more bandwidth to think about uh, decision making and, and what, you know, the value of the information. So it, it's going to be a game changer for us. And, uh, you know, what, what's been the easiest part about getting this done? What's been the hardest part about getting the RPA running? Uh, the easiest part, and, and I, I really recommend this, is starting with your staff. Because, um, you know, there is a little bit of sensitivities you might see you know, articles about robots coming, doing away with jobs, et cetera, but it's not that, um, or that's, that's not been our experience. So we went to the staff and said, what are the workload areas that, that are on your mind that you need right. help with? And, and they picked them. Um, they got really excited about it. And, and now we're, we're kind of, you know, expanding, you know, helping other people, so like our HR department, mm -hmm. uh, contracts, and you know, just getting ready to, to ramp up more. I mean, it was a little bit of a challenge uh, on the IT side, you know, making sure we understand all the gauntlet of, uh, you know, FISMA, you know, system security sure. work that you have to go through, partnering, collaborating with your CIO. I mean, they've got a pretty big um, workload as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. figuring out how to get that initial investment into the a long list of things that, you know, they're, they're working on. Um, but that you know that was a little bit of a challenge, right. and, and now we're working on um, a robot control plan because you know you don't want to go too far into this without you know understanding all the internal controls around the, the robot. Right. Um, so we're we're kind of slowing down a little bit to make sure we've got all the controls in place because some of the robots like actually go in and post um, transactions into our financial systems. So the initial ones we worked on were like kind of like sending spreadsheets and emails and things like that. But mm -hmm. before we go into the general ledger, we're really making sure we're using that A123 discipline to make sure we got the controls in place. Right. With robots, you still have separation of duties, right? Yes. And yes. That's, that's important. That if you have a robot performing a task, you've got to make sure you have the same separation of duty control that you have with a, mm -hmm. with a human operator. Uh, by the way, Treasury, we found out the same thing that, that Mike did, and, and that is that that the employees actually embrace the new technology. Mm -hmm. that, that Because very often the, these folks are overburdened with doing huge transaction volumes, our, our employees really welcomed the opportunity to, to really offload some of the, the less taxing but more redundant, repetitive tasks onto a robot. So it actually was embraced by the employees more than I would have expected. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of agencies are really doing this, right? They're piloting it, they're, you know, GSA is doing a lot of them. Mm -hmm. What have you guys seen? Other agencies are, you know, picking this up? 
Absolutely. NASA's got NASA. a very active program mm -hmm. and, and others as well. Yeah, I was thrilled when I got to DOD. They're, they're all in on robots. Army's got about a dozen deployed already. Army. Mm -hmm. Yep, we've got eight in the uh, Office of the Secretary of Defense's uh, office already and another list of 30 to go. Wow. Okay, so this is this is not the future, this is now, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, how about real briefly, I know we said we talk about it a little later, but the actual AI part of the A, you know, what, what what's kind of happening in that world right now? Um, I, I don't know if I if I could maybe take a parking lot because I want to tie it to blockchain and I know you wanted to sure. kind of hit okay. that because that, that might help explain it all a right. little bit more. Well, let's go to the blockchain. Okay. Well, you you mentioned I think we all mentioned that that robotics, especially robotic process automation, is a here and now technology. Blockchain is at the far end, other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's 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 still many many years off. Let's put it in perspective. The the, the white paper that that presented uh, blockchain was in 2008, where it's only 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So talking about blockchain now is like talking about computers in the early 50s, right? I mean, it, it, that's how young the technology is. But but let's admit, the, the rate of change in, in today's in today's world is a lot faster than it was in the 50s, so, so things are moving quickly. First, let, let's describe uh, kind of what blockchain is and what the benefits are. And it really, what it does is it, it does something called disintermediation, or really sort of simplifies the middleman. And, and you, you think about what it does, it, it can really simplify a highly centralized system. That what we describe in the paper is we make an analogy to taxi cabs. Those of you who remember the old taxi cab system where you call the central dispatcher, mm -hmm. and, and remember the dispatcher was the only one in the whole system that knew where every car was and where every customer was. So you, you really, everything had to go up to the dispatcher, where the cars were and where the customers were. Now think, year 2019 and Uber. How does Uber work? Uber is a network solution. It's not a, it's not a centralized solution, it's a network solution. Every customer knows where all the cars are. Every driver knows where the local customers are. The network actually has the intelligence. Blockchain is exactly the same paradigm and that's why it's so powerful. When you think about accounting and how often, how centralized accounting is in our agencies and within Treasury, Everything has to boil up to a general ledger and then trickle down to individual transactions. If you apply a blockchain type thinking, you can simplify that whole process. And we've done that. Uh, we're at, at Treasury, recognizing this is a very young technology, there are no standards, there are actually a lot of competing solutions and so forth, taking a, a very simple proof of concept, looking at uh, property management, and, and actually found out that, that if you apply a blockchain type solution to property management, Again, a very highly centralized process today, right? You have property custodians that, that report up to a property custodian at an agency level. You actually disintermediate the whole process and, and, and really take the work off the property custodian and the network can keep track of where all the, the material is. So, so let me stop there and sort of say, well, that's, the, that's really the benefit of blockchain. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the challenge for, for agencies is how do you find use cases where you can apply this thinking? And, and that's really where we are today is is finding use cases, um, and we've got uh, we've moved on from property management to something I'll call the supply chain solution. So let me let me stop there and, and I've bring got a use case. All right. <laughs> okay. um, and one, one thing that that's really neat about this, because you remember when we first started talking about that, we were just understanding the implications of the ABCDs, and, and mm -hmm. you know, but now we're starting to see how they relate to each other. Mm -hmm. so, so here's an example of what you asked about earlier with yeah. artificial intelligence. Cause you know, you think of like blockchain robots, 
it, it's just you know it's hard to really think you know what are they talking about like robots you know Star Wars things and things but it's when you actually see it you know the, like the um, the fit presentation I think you, you guys did a couple of Novembers ago where you actually saw the video of like how it worked but with, with, with we just saw that about a month or two ago with um, uh, blockchain so so basically imagine this this and this is how it uh, ties to um, artificial intelligence so just just like John said it's 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 like a network of things so you've got like what we're looking at for a use case at NSF is on um, payment systems I mean maybe not so much a payment system but a payment request system where basically we see an opportunity where universities who get funding from the federal government they do all this work they fill out all these forms you know um, grant burden you know there's a just a lot of activity that goes there but that that information flows through the blockchain and then at NSF we're looking at how to build a blockchain into that so we have like our rules for making payments to you know certify payment once they've done enough work they accumulate these things called tokens mm -hmm. to kind of show and this is not value this is not um, right. you know dollars you know this is just it's just tokens you know mm -hmm. I, I liken it to like you know if you're like me on a Friday night at Chuck E. Cheese with your kids you get these tickets <laughs> right. and then you get a prize it's kind of like that with the the federal fund you know okay. grant does their work they earn these tokens and then these rules are built in to the system and then they they're due a payment and then, and, and John, I hope this is something we could collaborate on long term, but it, instead of like, at, at NSF we have a um, payment system that sends things to Treasury to right. cut right. The, the check. We send, you know, just a information to Treasury to cut that check. And then outside of the blockchain, you know, the dollar goes back to the university. But with the, the, cat, the catch to artificial intelligence is, you know, instead of, like all this manual work that the universities do, the accountants do to certify the payments, you're gonna have information flowing through that blockchain. Mm -hmm. And this use case we saw is that the robotics, the, the RPA technology helps um, analyze all that information that is just more than a human can do. And, and um, Paul, I've heard your uh, podcast on the past, like with grants and risk management. Right. So just, just think of like, instead of a person doing all those risk assessments and, mm -hmm. you know, dashboards and things, the robots do that. Right. And yeah. then what we saw is literally just imagine being at your laptop there and, um, you know, Siri comes up and, and starts talking to you about the risks that are going on within the blockchain, right. you know, doing the dashboarding for you. Mm -hmm. So that that's the artificial intelligence aspect. I mean, that I think that's way off. But the the thing that's fascinating is we're starting to see that. Like the the market, we were learning about the market. It seemed established with RPA, but I'm sensing John that the market is really starting to solidify, and you know, the vendors and the different solutions are coming out. So. I'm thinking this may be within the next five years. It's going to right. change accounting yeah. as we know it. Yeah, let me let me jump on to the, the great use case that, that Mike talked about, and I call that the supply chain use case. Mm -hmm. When you think about all the ads you see on TV about blockchain, IBM has got a couple, and other people do as well. They talk about using blockchain for the distribution of tomatoes. Remember the, mm -hmm. the use case? Yeah. They can track a tomato from 
the carton it was in, the crate that carton was in, the container that crate was in, and then the, the farm from which the tomato came. So you're tracking, blockchain is very good at, at tracking these things that, that frankly disintegrate, mm -hmm. you know, that, that deconsolidate. Think about money and how money moves in the government. Big blocks are moved to, to agencies, they get dispersed out to, to bureaus and then out to contracts and grants and so forth. What blockchain could do if applied on top of the payment system is like Mike said, give you a very rich flow of information. Again, not changing how the payment's made. Mm -hmm. right? Just like that tomato. The tomato's still delivered by a right. truck. Right. What the blockchain does is give you a lot more information around that tomato. And again, think about payments and applying that logic to, mm -hmm. to, to payments. Mm -hmm. It could really put a lot more information on where an individual payment is going. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're, we're thinking of like, gosh, we're not going to have to do improper payment testing anymore because it's just, it's a matter of like analyzing the mm -hmm. data within the chain and doing something about it rather than, you know, this manual stuff we've been kind of saddled with for years. Yeah, and take, take that blockchain tomato to Europe, you can put a value-added tax on every little step, you know, <laughs> and have some new tax revenues. Uh, I mean, my thing is... I. It, I'd love to see AI do things, you know, with software where instead of having to go into your old financial system, type all this stuff, look for things, set things up, you literally just talk to it. Set up an AR for, you know, Department of X, this is the dollar amount, these are the terms, boom, 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 and it just does it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I, haven't, I don't have to type anything, I just ask it a question, I just, or, you know, give me all the, you know, payables we had in the last month for this vendor, boom, 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 and it'll just spit it out. I want to see that. So software sure, those days are coming. Do that. <laughs> so hey, Doug, why don't we uh, turn to cybersecurity here and see uh, what are you guys seeing over there in the cyber world? Um, a lot, and uh, probably not as much as we should, to be honest. Um, uh, my degree is actually in, in finance, and the whole premise of finance is for a given level of risk, get the maximum return. Or the flip side is for a given level of risk, minimize the impact. And so if you look at the, what is the risk of our systems being hacked, hopefully we all agree that it's, it's, it's probable that the people out there are trying. I mean, you hear about it on the news all the time, the Home Depots, the Walmarts, uh, OPM, mm -hmm. the OPM data breach. Um, so there's no doubt that uh, people are trying to get into our systems. In fact, I remember, uh, I think it was like uh, 2015, 2016, we did, had just produced and, and published one of our first data visualizations. It was just... A, a map of the United States with each state was shaded by how much we were spending in that state, just trying to show where we were spending our dollars. And we were actually tracking the hits. We wanted to see how often our, our, our map was being used. Two of the three first hits were from China and Russia. And I mean, we're talking within minutes of, of publishing. So there's no doubt our, our, our stuff is being uh, watched. And so the risk is high. What's the impact? Well. I, I can't tell you what OPM spent as a result of that data breach, mm -hmm. but I'm sure it's in the tens of millions, if not hundreds. Um, so the risk is high and the impact is high. So there's no doubt we should be paying attention to cybersecurity. It should be very much on our enterprise risk management profiles. It's something that we're all uh, worried about. At DoD, it's it's they they I've been very surprised at what they what the, the measures that they've taken. If I get an email from DoD none of those links are valid. I will get an email or the, the link address and I will have to copy and paste it. There's no email I get that I can just click on a link to because they've deactivated all of them just to minimize the chance of an accidental clicking a link and right. downloading mm -hmm. something you, you don't want. Um, 
and even just recently, they, they don't allow you to take any Wi-Fi enabled device into office space um, that's designated as secret. And that's most of it in the Pentagon. So if you go to a meeting at the Pentagon, you got to put your, your phone, your tablet. Uh, if you have a... Uh, um, like a Bluetooth, kind of Bluetooth any Bluetooth equipment, it all goes into lockers outside. Um, the problem, the, the flip side though, is you got to manage this because if you put in too much control, right. you're going to paralyze the organization. Right. Um, and you know, actually, I was dri- just yesterday I was driving down the street and I heard a commercial for a uh, a, a contractor that uh, sells uh, cybersecurity uh, um, software. And the analogy they used is we've we've been the model we've used is uh, is a Tootsie Pop model where you've kind of got this hard exterior that you keep people out, but once you get in, you know, you've, you've got the soft center that you can operate fairly freely. But with the with the opportunities for for hacking and the and the impacts, uh, then the model they they suggest we need to go to is what they call the jawbreaker model. It's just hard throughout. All the way. So yeah, and I don't know. That may be too much because, uh, like I said, you could you could paralyze yourself with internal control and and, and uh, the steps that are, are needed to really maintain high cybersecurity. So it's just something that we're going to have to balance right. uh, going forward. And how about that balance between the CFO and the CIO, or even the, the CTO or CISO, or all the different you know C-suite folks involved? Does it get critical. complicated? I mean, but what's the good way to manage that? Oh, you know? uh, it's 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 critical. I am um, one of the. Uh, uh, hopefully I can say this uh, as, as an ex-interior person, what a lot of people didn't know that, we, that was successfully kept out of the press was the fact that that OPM data that was sent to China was on DOI servers. Interior is right across the street from, from OPM. And it was OPM controls that, that failed. But, I, I mean, I, I had a conversation with the Interior CIO where she told me about the day she was happily typing on her, uh, her computer working her email and three guys with suits and badges showed up, uh, flashed their DHS credentials and said, um, you need to sign this contract for, uh, for enhanced cybersecurity that we need to implement because you are now sending information, your servers are sending information to China. And she said her, her life changed drastically for, for months after that, that day. Um, so there was a, just last week there was a CFO council meeting that was really, really neat to be part of because the whole premise of that uh, meeting was 30 years or 29 years after the CFO Act, what would we like a, a new CIO or CFO Act to, to uh, entail? And a lot of the conversation centered around data and having access to data and work in, in and you need to work with your CIOs to have the systems and go after the data that you need. We talked a lot about robots uh, mm-hmm. and, and new technologies. Well, mm-hmm. those new technologies and robots are sitting on systems that the CIOs control. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, CIOs are one of the first, I, I shouldn't say hurdles, but they're one of the first groups you got to pull in to implement these uh, RPAs because you got to get them on a software or you have to have, what do they call ATO authority to operate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, the CEOs, yeah, for yeah. this. And they have their own accounts sometimes, the bots do, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Password. Yeah, right. virtual employee. In fact, um, at, at DOD, bots are not allowed to operate unless you have your uh, ID card plugged into your computer. So they're only running eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Yeah, they're not running 24 hours. And that's one of the things we're trying to overcome there. Um, let them run 24 hours a day to maximize their their, their mm-hmm. value. Right. So 
absolutely we need to partner with with CIOs. It's it's just a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship that we need to foster uh, going forward. Right. Yeah. No. It sounds like it's a you know actually the first A and B are kind of you know very you know enthusiastic technologies want to jump forward and help out and then cyber's like hold now slow down we got to be safe too and secure so you got to have that on top of it as well so it's it's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, that, that's a really good point, and I'll be really brief, but I think some of the technology will help with the risk of cybersecurity. Like with blockchain, we could probably get into the, um, what's it called, John, the immutable theory. It's just like it's more, the information within the blockchain is more secure because it has like this dat, dat, uh, excuse me, math science around the nodes that, mm-hmm. that really make it, um, you know, impossible to kind of crack. So there's yeah. like stronger security that comes along with these innovations that might, you know, help with our cyber challenges. And, and the same with robots. I yeah. think if you control robots correctly, that what you have is a repeatable, highly documented process. Mm-hmm. So that when an auditor, auditor comes in and wants to know what's your process for, say, processing an accounts payable, you've got it already documented within mm-hmm. your, your bot. Mm-hmm. But again, that takes good controls around how you create and deploy a robot. But once you have that in place, I think you've got a more documented system. Well, why don't we jump into the last one here, the D of the ABCDs, the data an- data analytics. I think, Doug, you're on the lead on that as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, data analytics have been around for a while. Um, I actually reached had an epiphany moment a few, a few weeks ago because while I've done a lot around data analysis and visualization, I've been working around primarily with financial data. But the truth is we need to be thinking about going after other data sorts and sets. The epiphany moment I had was, was listening to a data scientist. And one of the neat things about working at DOD is there, there's a number of people that have come in that, that are trying to help, help the department, uh, especially with the audit and uh, in fiscal and financial integrity in general. There's a, a group in our uh, um, chief management office that they, they come out of Wall Street. They, they've made their millions, they're financially independent, and they're just working at DOD for the, the greater good. And these are yeah. really, really bright men and women. And I was talking to one the other day, and he said, you know, Doug, it's not about getting the information out of the data you have. It's about asking yourself, what is success? And what data do you need to measure that success? Uh, and then it just set off a whole new light bulb that while most of my career I've been trying to wring additional value out of the out of the data, the financial data that I've got, I need to be thinking about going after other data to, I mean, think about if, if I have to make a decision, the first uh, uh, three questions out of my mind are what does it cost? And I've already, I've already got good cost data. Uh, what's the benefit? which, okay, there's good benefit information out there, but it's not always linked to the cost data that I've got. And then what's the risk? So imagine if, wow, CFOs could produce cost information, benefit information, and risk information by a common denominator like program. Wow, all of a sudden, what if we could calculate return on investment by program? How powerful would that be in evaluating our programs and the value that uh, taxpayers are getting for their, their taxpayer dollars? What, what would the value be to Congress for evaluating these programs? I mean, you want to talk about a seat at the table, having that information in your back pocket. Um, the, other, the other aspect to, to data analysis is making sure you've got good data. Our industry is in, 
and I enjoyed, and that's enjoyed with quotes, uh, audits uh, since the early, early 90s. And the data, the financial data we're working with is obviously uh, significantly better as a result. But a lot of these other data sets uh, out there have not undergone routine audits, and the data integrity is uh, slightly less in some cases. And the worst thing you can do is report or rely on, on, on bad data. So there's, a, there's an aspect of data analysis to making sure, uh, data governance and making sure you've, you're, you're working with good data to begin with. Um, and as the article states, data visualization, which really is kind of a different way of thinking, you start to think about aspects or what I've called dimensions of data. Uh, when I present on data uh, visualization, I, I show a Charles Menard picture that uh, uh, shows Napoleon's march on Moscow. But the reason I show that is there are six different dimensions of that data that's all captured in one picture. In data visualization, it's, it, it's, it's proven to accelerate the rate and accuracy of, of comprehending that, that data. Um, back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the most valuable accountants are the ones who knew accounting but could translate that into information that non-accountants right. can understand. And with the explosion of data, just the quantity of data out there, you need to be able to translate that data into information that's useful for decision making and visualization goes a, a, a long way for that. So just. Uh, I got interested in this stuff just for selfishly promoting our value within the industry. We, we, we've all heard that, that saying that information is power. Well, we, we've got these, this, this, all this great data. Let's, let's pull the information out of it just to increase our, our influence in our, our agencies. Right, and definitely, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. I mean, these data visualization tools actually put all this, you know, mountain of data into a form that's usable and you can actually make sense of it and take some actions on it. I mean, that really has, you know, moved things forward, I think, as far as actual using the data to make decisions, you know. Yeah. A, a wise man once said, a picture's worth a thousand numbers. Oh, they're even better. That's right. <laughs> It's a little bit self-promoting if you get an email from me, the tagline on my <laughs> yeah, email yeah. is. We've seen that a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, why don't we close out with uh, kind of how do we tie all these things together, you know, or what's, you know, What's the what's what's kind of the, the call to action here, or the or the you know some way to tie everything together? I, I think it's uh, and we briefly mentioned this, but I, I think you see the the CFO council really digging into this more in terms of I, I think this is the, the ultimate why this is important. It, it's for our people in, in, in our workforce, and I, I've got this little story about you know my dad who was a controller. He he basically. It, you know, same thing happened in the 60s. ATMs were introduced, people saying, oh gosh, we're gonna, you know, jobs are gonna go away, we don't have to hand out cash anymore. But it's actually just the opposite effect. I mean, bank tellers, you know, could sell services and different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, job opportunities, you know, increase. Um, and then over time, the technology took hold. I mean, I can remember ATMs first coming out in the 80s, but it was actually mm -hmm. the 60s. Mm -hmm. But it's just, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I, I think older generations had, you know, like I think of my dad, he had, you know, 40 years that he kind of went through that disruption. Right. I, I think the technology is coming at us so fast. I mean, I, I'm thinking of myself in the, in, you know, the, you know, kind of the older generation. I, I don't have 40 years, you know, I mean, it, it's like right here and now. Right. And that the gap, like if we're not like upskilling ourselves, 
and really retooling. I mean, that, that's what they're doing with the students and the universities. They're working mm -hmm. hard to catch up. So we're going to have all these folks coming out of college with you know, this background, and then they're going to come to the government. Mm -hmm. We've got to be really ready for that and, and upskill ourselves even to you know, really get all the benefits of, of this disruption that's coming at us. I mean, one thing that ties it all together, and I think uh, Doug and, and Mike talked about it, is the role of the CFO and of the finance staff is mm -hmm. radically changing. Mm -hmm. all, all this technology, all this advancement is enabling finance staff to step above the accounting right. and, and look at the program. How are, our, how are the government programs serving the taxpayers? How do we make them more efficient? How do we combine cost data and performance data using data visualization and data analysis and freed up from transaction processing because the robots will be doing that? Mm -hmm. and, and really looking at how government agencies are performing to serve the public. And, and that's an entirely new and exciting role for the CFOs and their staff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the in industry is poised for significant change coming down the road. And I think, what was it, a, was it a Honda, old Honda motorcycle commercial? You could lead, follow, or get out of the way. Uh, that's kind of how I look at it. Plus, I mean, for me personally, uh, I, I'm painfully aware of, of citizens out uh, across the country that think our industry is a very poor return on investment. And that, that bothers me greatly. So I embrace this just because I want to increase our value and I want to get that message out there to the, the public that, yeah, there really are people paying attention to their taxpayer dollars and trying to do their best to make sure those dollars are spent wisely, efficiently, and, and, and appropriately. Right. Well, it's a great note to go out on. So again, thanks to everybody for, uh, for joining the podcast today and it was a great conversation. Thank you. And I just want to say thanks to my uh, fellow uh, authors over here. It was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. You can find other web, other podcasts over at agacgfm.org. And check out the AGA Journal. That's where we, uh, kind of the genesis of this podcast. It was a winter edition, 2019. Read more about the ABCDs. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA. <laughs>